Hello there, I am Jack Kirschman, Deputy Editor here at Hot Topics, and this week's interview is the second part of our Growth Paradox series, brought to you this time around by FitzMe, who are industry leaders in data-driven personalization in fashion. Leading this week's interview is Andrew Brent, the former CMO of Barclays and Burger King, who will be in discussion with Andy Donkin, who is the current Chief Marketing Officer of the sports brand Under Armour. Growing from the lowly beginnings of Kevin Plank's grandmother's basement, Under Armour has firmly established itself as one of the world's most innovative global sports brand, and actually it has annual sales figures now worth around $4 billion. This is what he had to say. Enjoy. So welcome to the latest of our series of discussions on the subject of uh, growth, uh, and more specifically uh, the, under the overarching umbrella of the growth paradox. The rather strange fact that while growth is extremely important for the success of almost all businesses, many businesses are not very good at growing sustainably and profitably. And in this series of discussions, we've been exploring some of the reasons why that is. We've been looking at some of the mistakes that have uh, tripped businesses up uh, in different circumstances. We've looked at some of the new learnings around consumer behaviour, how people choose between brands and make purchase decisions that are starting to offer new ways to approach growth. And then we've been looking at some of the businesses that have grown very successfully and the strategies they've used and the innovations they've brought to the market to, uh, to become successful and to, and to grow. And in each of these series of discussions, I've been joined by uh, senior leaders from different parts of the business world. And today, I'm very happy to say that I'm uh, joined by Andy Donkin, who's the Global Chief Marketing Officer at uh, Under Armour, the sports apparel brand which has grown very successfully over the last 10, 15 years. So, Andy, welcome. Thank you very much for giving up the time and being here. And maybe could start if you just give us a brief overview of your background and how you've got to where you are now. Sure. Um, great to be here. Appreciate the time. Uh, um, Andy Donkin, I'm the global CMO for Under Armour. Uh, and how did I get here? God, that's such a long question. How many hours do we have to talk? <laughs> many? No? Okay. So uh, my brief background is I actually started uh, out of graduate school in the consumer packaged goods world. So I worked for Colgate Palmolive. I uh, learned the fundamentals of brand there. Uh, and post uh, uh, Colgate Palmolive, I actually went out to the West Coast and did a, a series of startups um, and really learned how to operate in a much faster, uh, high-velocity environment where technology uh, really was the differentiator uh, and the way that technology was used to improve people's lives was a differentiator. And I found my way to Amazon about uh, six years ago uh, and worked at Amazon to build a global marketing team, uh, which was an amazing experience, uh, and really learned from that experience around the ability to break through into new categories and that the world has changed. Uh, I've uh, joked around that, uh, you know, in the old days, they teach you in uh, a graduate school that you had to stay tuned to your core competencies. I think Amazon is a good example of uh, technology companies today that break through those core competencies and create new ones. Uh, so that's been my experience over the last uh, 10 uh, to 12 years. Cool. And I mean, now you're working for a brand that has you know, come into a pretty established market and has found a way to, to build initially a niche business and now a very big, big business uh, with a lot of innovation behind it. And the subject I want to particularly explore today is, uh, is customer targeting, how, how, customer, how businesses identify groups of customers amongst all the people they could possibly sell to, where they have a particularly uh, disproportionate potential for growth. 
and how they target uh, them with propositions and marketing programs that enable them to recruit customers and, uh, and indeed grow over time. And I'm particularly interested in exploring this for Under Armour because, you know, your your business, you you came into the into the market, into the, the sports apparel market in the mid to late '90s, at a time when already that market was full of very big and very successful brands, Nike, Reebok, Adidas. You right. many, there were many of them, and uh, somehow your your business, from starting from scratch, managed to find a way. To appeal to groups of consumers or shopping occasions or mindsets, whatever it was, that enabled you to start building a, a, what's become a really big and successful business. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that happened and how that how you started started to get a sense of this is where we could focus on to grow in this very competitive marketplace? Yeah, I think a, a couple of uh, a couple of ideas. Uh, uh, I think for Under Armour, the two things that has been true to its heritage is the idea of authenticity um, and the uh, ability to connect with consumers where they play their sports. And that's how really Under Armour grew from the ground up. Um, it's a founder-led company. Uh, and Kevin Plank uh, you know, started the business out of his grandmother's basement, amazingly enough. Um, and the way that this business got off the ground and the way that this business was able to connect to consumers was through that authenticity and through innovation. You know, Kevin took what was basically a T-shirt and said, uh, as a football player, boy, this gets wet with sweat. This gets heavy. And over time, uh, it actually um, there's got to be a better way. And so through the idea of reinventing the simple T-shirt into compression gear, that's really how the business got started. And that heritage of being true to its roots and authentic by delivering better performance for athletes through its apparel and footwear has been true to its brand since the very beginning. So as we think about target customers, targeting those folks who have the same passion for what they do on the court, on the field, and even now off the field um, has been important to our heritage. And as we begin to target those consumers, uh, a lot of times we'll think about younger consumers when they're beginning to build their brand preferences and beginning to build their presence in the sports that they play they want uh, performance gear that's going to make them better and that's the customer base we focus on yeah and so is there such a is there a when you think about the market do you think about okay there are some people out there who are under armor customers and other people who are nike customers or are there occasions when somebody would the same person would choose under armor but in on a different occasion or a different circumstance would choose one of one of the other brands how does that how does that work yeah, I think it's a great question. I, I think one of the things that probably all marketers deal with is uh, uh, the fact that consumers love variety, right? We'd all love every consumer to wear, or I would anyway, every consumer to wear Under Armour head to toe. But the likelihood of that at in one occasion is probably pretty low. So what you have to begin to think about is, number one, obviously the product set you have to offer we're not in every category that Nike's in. Nike's not in every category that we are. So there's things that we can do. We can be expert in. Let me give you an example. Uh, another example of innovation in the cleats market. So in football cleats, uh, for years and years and years, uh, football players wore uh, low-top shoes. Uh, Kevin had the idea that uh, why would a football player not want what a basketball player wants? High-top shoes that protect their ankles. And the high top was invented for football by Under Armour. So that was a thoughtful 
um, experience with a very targeted group of, of, of uh, consumers, those who play football, and creating an authentic innovation that differentiated us from the Nikes of the world. So back to your question in terms of how we think about differentiating a Nike customer from an Under Armour uh, customer from an Adidas customer, part of it is that ability to focus on a particular category where you can be expert and have an expert insight. Uh, part of it is the tone and uh, uh, nature of your brand. We tend to appeal to a younger consumer, uh, again, somebody who's starting to get uh, involved in, in uh, team sports, uh, someone who wants to improve their performance on field, and certainly in our history, less so on what happens off field. Although what's very interesting, your audience might find interesting, is like all big brands and like all big categories, we're seeing this change where target consumers are starting to be as concerned about what they wear off the court as what they wear on the court. So the trick for us for targeting customers is begin to think about, I still have to have passion for my on-court performance and what I wear on court, but then that same passion carries over to looking great once I'm off the court. And for us, the challenge is, how do we make those two things work without diluting the brand? And and to do that, do you do you need to find a way to carry the sort of the technology and, and the innovation, which is at the core of where the brand came from, do you need to find ways to carry that into uh, apparel items that are less obviously performance related and a bit more leisure related? You, you need to do that. Yes, absolutely. I think, again, to be true to our brand, uh, in the end, um, you know, the, the big statement for us is we have to be authentic. So yeah. even as we move into off the court activities, we have to figure out how are we authentic to that consumer's life? Um, what's interesting for us, again, thinking about target customers, is we have a, a, a little bit of a differentiator versus the big competitors in our market through our Connected Fitness product. And the Connected Fitness product gets into everything from, yes, my on-field performance and how did I play, to my health and wellness. How is my nutrition? Am I sleeping well? Those things become become part of not an on-field activity, but an off-field activity, but it's about me getting better as an athlete because if I sleep better, if I eat better, if I hydrate better, that's going to make me a better athlete. And for us as a brand to be able to inform the customer about that makes us more authentic, yeah. makes us more uh, relevant to their lifestyle. Yeah. And that it's interesting because that, that's for people who don't know. You, your business has made some fairly significant acquisitions in that space, haven't you, in the last few years where you've said, right, we're going to acquire businesses that that can provide that type of information to uh to to our to our consumers so they can they can map their performance they can they can map their 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 lifestyles i noticed as well you've got a partnership you've got a partnership with ibm haven't you in in, you know really getting into you know cognitive computing and all sorts of sophisticated things that i guess will enable you to understand your you know your consumers lives even better you talk a little bit about how that's how that side of what you've done has, has has developed yeah, great question. So IBM, we really use them for the Watson relationship. So your, um, your, 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 your audience is probably very familiar with the Watson product. Uh, if they watch Jeopardy, they probably love Watson um, because it was a participant and actually beat a human, which is very scary yeah, um, in, in, uh, in that program. Yeah. But what um, uh, we use Watson for is to provide insights to the Connected Fitness membership about how they can sleep better, about how they can perform better. So again, this is this intersection of technology 
and apparel and footwear that's going to continue to grow. And so I know this discussion is around targets, which makes it very interesting to us in terms of, hey, there are um, uh, there's the ways to use data to inform your targets about their health and wellness. And so Watson is an example of that. You can think about other things, Siri in Apple, the ability to use voice recognition technology to search for nutrition, to search for better ways to work out, right? And that could be both text or that could be through uh, uh, finding, helping you find videos in YouTube that helps me train better. Mm -hmm. So this intersection of the technology world and the apparel world is already here and it's only going to get bigger and it's uh, going to allow us to provide much more personalized experiences to our target base because we learn much more about them as they interact with our technology. And it, it seemed to me when I was looking at that, 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 that those acquisitions and that, that side of what you do is almost an extension of the targeting philosophy and that you've got a group of consumers, your core group of consumers, and I, th I think I'll be right in saying, are probably a bit more serious about sport than the average and therefore are going to be that little bit more interested in getting that sort of data on their on their lifestyle. So the, in a way, the targeting and, and, the, and the reality of the people that you sell to has driven some of that development in your, in your proposition. Would that, be, would that be right? Yeah, it, it is right. But what's interesting is it actually um, widens the lens of our potential targets. And I talked a little bit about it as it relates to nutrition. So you might imagine that the uh, person who might be looking for uh, diet recommendations to eat better, to lose weight could be a little bit different than that high school athlete who's looking for performance gear that's going to make yeah. them perform better. Yeah. Now, in the end, they both have the same uh, uh, macro benefit, and that's to have better health and wellness and perform better uh, overall. Um, as we target, right, we would look at that person who's looking for nutrition information and provide them with different information about how they potentially, say, could lose weight, um, uh, could sleep better, than that person who it wants to run in terms of our ability to widen the target base. It's actually gotten wider with the data technology because we have uh, 200 million or we're getting close to 200 million registered users on our connected fitness platform. So as you might imagine, there are many, many sub targets within that mm. broad registered mm. user base mm. and many different motivations and desires in terms of what uh, information they're looking for. And is there a danger in that, though, that, 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 as, that given where the brand comes from and given that you've got a particular profile of users and consumers that have been, been very successful for you, is there a risk that if you almost evolve too far into a brand that's equally suitable for people who are not particularly interested in sport at all but just want to lose weight or something, that that, that starts to dilute the, the very things that have made the brand successful and differentiated it from the other major brands in the first place? Yeah, it's a great call out. That is the danger. And you can uh, there's there's plenty of bodies on the road of, of brands that have tried to expand their user base and end up meaning nothing. And so it's the old saw of you can't be everything to everyone. Now, the interesting thing as you kind of look forward, and especially uh, for me, as I come from a very data centric kind of background is that's why you have you can't be inauthentic to your brand and who you are. I think it's less about expanding what the brand means, uh, but more about thinking about what the brand stands for and who it relates to. So even that 
200 or close to 200 million registered users that might be on our connected fitness space. In many cases, I may not even message to a broad group because I choose not to through the Under Armour brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to be very thoughtful about the subgroups. And I can't get so greedy that I think that that registered user base wants to hear about my Under Armour product mm-hmm. or I want to produce a product that satisfies a particular need that they have because it might not be true to our brand. Mm-hmm. So rule number one for me and for Under Armour is be authentic in everything that we do. And if we follow that rule for every target we go after, then we'll be in good shape. That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. So let, let's just take the conversation into the marketing of the brand then and the way that you use that targeting philosophy but also i'm interested in your use of, of data because clearly you're you're a business that makes great use of data in the way that you target and decide which messages go to which people talk a little bit about how you've taken that targeting philosophy and translated that into marketing strategy for the brand sure i think there's a couple of uh pretty straightforward examples so as you might imagine one would be on the email side right so we're able to uh using differentiated messaging to that user base the more we learn about their uh, desires in terms of what they like, what they don't like, we can then craft and customize messages about products or services that are more relevant to them. Uh, number two, uh, many of your audience knows about retargeting. Uh, retargeting has been around for a while, but it's getting more and more about how you can actually look at the types of things that people are interested in and make sure that that message is customized for them. I think the third way is from a data perspective is being very, very thoughtful about how you data mine. Uh, in, and that data mining is really not about identifying any one individual, but identifying uh, aggregated groups of targets that you can speak to in the same manner. Uh, that could come through uh, email. It could come through retargeting, as I mentioned. It could come through even old style methods of, hey, they shop all the time at a physical store. So I'm actually going to drop uh, direct mail to them. Um, because that's what they respond to better. And it's very interesting for me being in technology for uh, many, many years is for the first time in a long time, probably since I was at Colgate, we, I've got uh, folks who like to shop in physical retail. Um, so we really have to think about a very differentiated experience in physical retail um, because there are some folks who that's just the way they like to shop. They enjoy the experience. They enjoy the physical uh, even social aspects of shopping at a physical store. So I have to think about how I actually engage with those customers at a physical level, which means I have to completely differentiate my marketing at that retail store because we have brand stores that are Under Armour stores. You have uh, our product that might be in Macy's. You have a product that might be in Dick's Sporting Goods. Each one of those customers is a different customer segment, and we have to build out our marketing messages at the physical level to match even what we do online. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems to me that you've got uh, an unusually sophisticated sort of data set on, on, on your customers. Are, are you able to to target messages not just by consumer, but by um, sort of life stage or, you know, ca- can you identify the points where people are moving from potential demand for one set of products to potential demand for another set of products and understand that through some of the increasing amounts of data that you're generating on how they're fitness regimes work and what and what have you 
You can to some extent, and and to be clear, you know, we're we're, we're very very sensitive about the privacy of our customer yeah. data, yeah. and so we yeah. never violate that trust. Um, I, I think that's why we look at aggregations as opposed to yeah. individuals. Yeah. Um, but you know, you begin to build hypotheses about how people interact with your product. So, for example. Uh, a customer might um, a group might begin to interact with Under Armour through the compression gear. So they they know us for that. Um, they like how it fits on them. They like how it performs. And then the next question would be, okay, now that you've tried compression gear, what would be the next logical product for you to begin to wear or begin to put on your feet? And so that's changing all the time because as we introduce new products, we'll take an example like the Curry 3 product that we introduced six months ago. Um, that was a, kind of a follow-up to our big entry into the basketball category. We actually worked with Steph Curry, who's the player who's an Under Armour player who's really reinventing the game of basketball in terms of how you shoot threes and got his input on how he would think about the shoe, the design aspects of the shoe, and then how that would interest his fan base. Mm. So now you're beginning targeting in a much different way. Instead of sitting in a you know boring old boardroom figuring out why a product's going to connect with a customer, you're actually in the market with your athlete at the, the, the games that people are participating in and mm. getting input from them directly about how a shoe might be designed. Yeah. Um, so it's a much different um, uh, approach to figuring out these sub-targets and how we use both physical interaction and our data to separate the kinds of messages that we deliver. Uh, and again, look at that lifestyle marketing uh, for someone who's just beginning to interact with the, with the brand today. Okay, that's cool. All right. Final area I want to get into just a little bit is, because you, you know, the, the brand clearly, uh, Kevin Plank was a, was a, you know, a, a successful uh, a college athlete and, and, and a lot of your early success was very US centric really. But you've become a brand that's successful yep. all over the world. And clearly, you know, big, huge stars, though, people like Steph Curry are, they're not that well known outside of the U.S. How have you taken the brand and sort of applied the thinking and the targeting and the way that you position it to different markets like the U.K. or different markets around the world? Yeah, great question. Although I will tell you that Steph Curry is wildly popular in Asia. Um, he, uh, we did a tour yeah, with no. him about six seven months ago before the NBA season started. Uh, and it was amazing. And, and uh, just a little side note, what's so interesting about it is the reason Steph Curry connects with uh, the uh, folks internationally is because he is not this, um, you know, seven foot two, uh, you know, 300 pound beast. He's a guy who's six, four, who looks a little bit like us, yet he's completely reinvented the game. And so fans in China look at him and say, you know what? He yeah. inspires me. I, I actually could be like Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, there's only one Steph Curry, but it's amazing to have that aspirational exactly. element. Feels, 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 like same that's in the UK. So People like him in the UK for the, for the same yeah. reasons. He looks like a sort of normal guy. You know? Yeah, but it, but right, exactly. And so, so we have, when we think about our athletes, we think of it almost in terms of how do they fit the brand uh, and how are they a local asset or are they a global asset? And so uh, Steph Curry fits our brand so well because he's reinventing the game of basketball. Um, and um, uh, he uh, has global representation in China, um, but in Europe, maybe less so, only because that category is not as well developed yeah. in Europe. Um, and so we might go into uh, Europe and we sign a football club, for example. Mm -hmm. um, we have a football club 
called St. Pauli, which is a very interesting regional club that's mm. this intersection of culture and football uh, that we use uh, in, in pan-Europe. Um, we think about uh, global football as well in Latin America because obviously there's a touchstone uh, there. So this, this uh, portfolio of assets that we have are both regional and they're uh, global. So in building campaigns, we have to be very obviously sensitive to who's known in those regions. I think the other thing I learned um, uh, in, in kind of the, the global role I've had for probably the last 10 years is we have to be really good at building global frameworks for uh, our brand. And we have to be, again, very consistent in how our brand uh, is messaged in all of these markets. However, we have to get local input to make our brand relevant and execute our messaging in a way that we might not in any other country. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's true in terms of, again, we talked about basketball versus uh, um, other categories in Europe, specifically run, which I was just in Europe last week. And we we're talking about Steph and how big he is, mm-hmm. but the basketball card- category not being developed what we really have to do is develop a running shoe message mm-hmm. because we have great running shoes because there's such a running culture in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then we get down to the local level like a Germany and we say, well, in Germany, we have to be very uh, oriented on our technology features because Germans tend to have the attitude of prove it to me. Mm-hmm. Right. I need to be uh, I'm skeptical about what you're going to tell me. So I need um, uh, tangible proof points that that product is actually going to deliver on on what uh, you say it is in UK, it might be, hey, I, I, I need those proof points, but you've got to do it in a humorous way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to engage me. So yeah. each and every market, as we think about our marketing messages, we have to get that local input. What I've loved, whether it's in India, whether it's in China, whether it's in Europe, whether it's LATAM, is building up such great relationships with our local teams and local influencers. We get those inputs that allow us to connect inauthentic ways to that local customer. And what I'm taking from that is no matter where the market is and however you have to adapt to the local uh, sporting cultures, that sort of uh, authentic sense of we want to bring the things that are special about Under Armour, particularly the the technological innovations that make our product in the US better, we'd want to bring that to a running shoe for Europe, for example. We wouldn't just want to put into the market a box standard running shoe with with an Under Armour badge on it we'd still hold ourselves to that same sort of authentic brand values that are, that have established the brand in its home market good yeah that authenticity of making all athletes better is what we stand for yeah. so every market that we're in that's we're going to use that that positioning yeah. globally yeah. Um, and but then we're going to translate it to the local market in terms of product both footwear yeah. and apparel or, or the services experience through Connected Fitness yeah. in terms of what that means to me locally. Great, fantastic. Okay. Well, look, I think we're just about out of time, so we'll maybe we'll maybe uh, close it there. But before we do, is there any, if there's one last thought that you'd want to leave people with in terms of as people listening to this are thinking about, you know, targeting and finding groups of customers that are right for them and developing propositions to fit, uh, what, what thoughts would you leave them with from your, from your, uh, from your experience? Sure. Um, I think the good news is that um, the market is changing so rapidly that the folks who are going to succeed have to operate in a very nimble, fast-paced way, which is fun, which means that the old rules can be broken 
from a marketing standpoint. And so every, uh, all the members of your audience, I hope what they're thinking about is how do I test, learn, and scale so that I'm scaling the big ideas while I actually get out of the ideas that aren't working. So our, our, our platform in terms of being able to experiment in social media and digital media allows you to test multiple ideas and that is an amazing experiment, uh, kind of petri dish that you can operate in, um, and really gives you the opportunity to experiment in broad ways and push the line, go over the line. Yeah. Because as long as you manage the risk, um, you can make sure that you're not risking too much. Um, it allows you to get insight that you would, uh, you know, five years ago even you would not have been able to get. So be bold, test, learn, and scale. Don't be af- afraid of failure, but don't bet, bet the company on every uh, on every idea that you have. Um, Because those big, bold ideas, those are the ones that are going to reinvent your company. And that can be a hard thing sometimes, can't it? Because failure of any sort can sometimes be difficult for cultures to accept. But the price is, you know, if you don't go for that, then you won't won't learn. So, Andy, thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate you finding the time. That's a fascinating discussion. There'll be loads of people uh, absolutely uh, digging into that with lots that they want to take out. So thank you very much indeed. And uh, good luck with everything uh, from here on in. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much.